Thank you for the warm welcome that we have uh, felt since we've been here the last couple of days and, and the patience of it reintroducing yourself a few different times uh, to make sure I get it or, you know, whatever. You've been gracious. It's, uh, it is great to be together. And thank you for the way that uh, we feel uh, uh, just trusted um, opening up your family here to us who are relatively unknowns. And I would like to take care of part of that right now just to be a little bit more on the known side to give you a bit of an introduction to us in that Trisha and I were baptized in DeKalb, Illinois. Uh, she was baptized in 80 and I was in 81 by Marty Fuquay. Is that right, 80? Okay. And uh, that was, that was uh, many years ago. Um, we uh, spent, spent three decades in Chicago there after that. With two years in between, we did led the church in Indianapolis, but we've been the longest most people have ever been in one church. And then um, before we went into full-time ministry, in 19, up till 88, so 81 through 88, we had professional careers. Trisha was a teacher, and I was an engineer, kind of an analyst IT person. Uh, and, so, and then we went into the ministry. About seven weeks later, we went to a staff meeting. You won't believe this, but uh, we went to a staff meeting. They wanted to know if we would go lead the church in Indianapolis. Well, there you go. Trisha never went home from that staff meeting. She was pregnant with our third child. She went straight to Indianapolis with John and Nancy Mantle. And then I had to go get our two kids and pack up and get in there a few weeks later. Uh, Kevin and Mary took over our ministry after that. But uh, that, was, uh, that was a bit on the, the edge in those days. Uh, we've been on staff through six different leadership eras in that 30-year that period. Uh, or on uh, the, since 88, that's 26 years. And that's the staff. And, and uh, about the 20-year anniversary, that's all the people that led the church had been elders up to that point. And so kind of a lot of diversity, a lot of stories in there, you know. And uh, so that's our story. And then um, I've been in the teaching ministry since about 93. I got my master's from Wheaton College. My thesis was on unity and diversity. So you know I love this subject here, you know. And uh, then I got to be part of the cooperation agreement plan with this group of nine of us. At the time, we were about 400 churches that were in peril, confusion. A lot of mission churches didn't know where their funding was going to come from. Now we're over 500 churches, and over 90% of those have affirmed the cooperation agreement. And we have 31 regions. God has been very kind to us. And... um, and now I'm in this other trajectory, and I'm finishing this month, as soon as I turn a paper in in a few days, uh, I will be done at Lipscomb University's Institute of Conflict Management. And um, uh, Albert, John, Kazi, Trish, and I, we were in uh, Hawaii. Uh, Al and John helped launch this endeavor, and we were part of a project that actually convinced Trish and I this is what we want to do. And over that period, there were nine historical events starting late 1997, uh, 98, all the way through 2012 that we diagnosed that was part of uh, stuff that they were dealing with, which lay, left a residue of 12 dynamics that had to be worked out. You know, you know how an event can leave an aftermath, a culture or whatever. But the carnage was there were seven ongoing broken relationships. And, uh, you know, these are really good-hearted people that would kept trying and trying and trying. And sometimes there's something at the base that has to be sorted out so that it doesn't, you know, reoccur. And uh, so that's what we uh, did. They were a wonderful guinea pig. Um, 
all 50 people that we interviewed in 30, 30, uh, three weeks all pointed to the exact same event that caused them uh, you know, their, the beginning of their difficulties. It's interesting when you do discovery, you get to find out, hey, this is what they all share in common, even the people that don't get along with each other. Uh, you know, uh, they share a lot of things in common. Uh, it ends up, you can't tell with the lighting, but that's Anthony and Sauna on the left, and uh, that's the, the last night that we were there. This is our approach um, that Trish and I have. And uh, this is the technical version, and I'll give you the, the one-sentence version. The technical version is we do discovery, and that's to find out a, a broad narrative that leaves us with enough information to create a report that's the historical things, the dynamics, and the relationship stuff. And we, we create a short one after a certain period of time. That'd be by the end of January here. And uh, that would go to all the parties that we would be interviewing as a running draft to say this is what it looks like so far. And then we go into mediation, and that's where you really find out, that's where things start to ferment, because mediation itself is discovery. One of the phenomenal things about mediation is people learn things about themselves and about the story they're part of that they didn't even know, because they never felt safe to really have that talk. And uh, so then that helps see what has really happened. Alignment is as simple as this, it's just making sure it's the right people on the right seat of the ship. And also, even if we're in the right seat on the right place on the ship, sometimes making sure we are self-aware, um, we're in good form spiritually, we have objectivity, people in our lives, and we're doing well spiritually. And then, uh, and that's an ongoing project. That's a lifelong thing, by the way. <laughs> we, we need people, we, we had a phrase in Hawaii called calibration and that we all need calibration all the time, well, which is another word for what? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, right, you know, helping us get from one place to another so we're happy on the other end of it, you know. And um, then we would have a meeting where we bring this all to a, towards a closure, and this would be disclosed things that may not even be really well understood or known. Like, for instance, we have some stories that had been well over, you know, many, many years old in a way that were not true. And we were able to clear these things up, and it made the church feel better about people that they had been talking about. And so, but also we have apologia. That's the Greek word that in the beginning, about seven, eight hundred years before Christ, it meant a defense. And sometimes it would be like apologetics where it's like, hey, an explanation, just so you know. But, you know, really, the word has over time meant a lot of things. It's, it's basically a bridge between two parties that are not comfortable with each other, or one's not comfortable. And it's, that bridge could be a combination of defense, explanation, context, an expression of, hey, I'm sorry you're feeling that way. It's kind of a social harmony apology. I'm sorry that that's happened to you. Or a mea culpa. I'm bad. Please forgive me. The reality is, as we know, those of us who are married, sometimes you need all of that. <laughs> but it's an art to learn to which to say first. <laughs> and so we're literally going to have a class in January called Apologies, Forgiveness, and Reconciliation, with video, PowerPoints, homework, and everything. And what we want to do is to get every, all of us to be good at learning apologia.
And, and this is a powerful concept. I had a whole course called Apologies, Forgiveness, and Reconciliation. I have flat plagiarized this from my professor. It's so encouraging and it has great value in the community of the saints. And then lastly is the transformative measures. And that's to put in place the things from all that we've learned to chart a new future. And you know, culture is one of the most difficult things to change. Have you ever done something over and over and over again and you go, why am I doing that? You know, and it's because it's so autopilot. Right. It's just all I've known. It's you know, it's maybe it's because you know I'm American or I'm a white male or whatever it is. There's just certain grooming that you get, okay? And it can happen in the church too. Yeah. And so, what we're going to do is uh, work on how to actually change the things that got us into trouble in the beginning. And by making all of this after the the entire project is done, which we are committed to being part of it to help hire the right people Amen. in a way that will be very, make you feel like you went home satisfied because of the process that we Amen. use. But um, at the end of it, when it's all over, we want to make sure you have the reports of your story. The prologue, the lessons learned, how the mediations went, but we're not going to be putting anything on print that's going to cause anybody trouble. The people that were involved in that will get a chance to make sure it represents them, and, or we won't be writing about it. You know, but, and then the transformative measures, and then at the transformative measures, what it's like, the final meeting is checkbox on a screen. These are all the things that we need to do to make sure that we're on track to transform, kind of like an 18-month trajectory. And you'll X off the ones that we did, and then we'll put target times on the other ones. And what that does is it, it plays into our better nature, just to be accountable to do the things we say we're going to do. And it's hard. With Oahu, I think we have four things left by the end of February. And I'm like, oh, no, oh, no, because some of it's on me, you know. And so, but it's, it's good pressure, okay? And then here's the explanation. In simple lay terms, we seek the real picture. To carefully discover and resolve root issues in mediation, Propose crucial changes and rehearse the future. Amen. And guess what? It can actually be fun. Yeah. Amen. Now, you may say, where did these methods come from? <laughs> At this time, I would like some ushers to come up. And hand out a cheat sheet. It's this right here. This one? Yep. I had a couple classes in college where the uh, professor might say something to the effect of you can bring a three by five card. And to your final exam and anything you can fit on that. Man, I learned to bring a magnifying glass. <laughs> and, you know, uh, but out of respect for uh, our eyesight here, and some of us are a little bit older, you know, I didn't want to do that. But I wanted to make sure <laughs> you knew where I'm coming from when I talk about methodology. 
Here is what's in this handout. It's all the best principles as intended by God through Moses and Jesus and the apostles so that our institutional cultures, whether it be Israel or the church, are in their best place. This is intentionality. These are great passages. And then these are the great stories that had great outcomes. Some of them are near misses, and some of them actually started off bad and came off good. And so that's what that is. And then we're going to look at Joshua 22. And Joshua 22 is one of my favorite stories. The eastern tribes are returning home, and it says, basically, God is all pleased. Joshua's saying, hey, you can go home. You've completed your mission. You've carried it out, verse 3. They went on home, and then the two and a half tribes on one side of the Jordan, it says in verse 10, when they came to Galeoth near Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe Manasseh built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. And oh my goodness, by the two verses later, verse 12, the whole assembly of Israel gathered to Shiloh to go to war against them. Look how fast that happened. They were in a sweet spot. There was an action with no communication, by the way. It was interpreted in the worst possible light, and it was going to be war. Man, we are fickle. We're more fickle than I believe a lot of mammals on this planet. There are things that inside of us, psychologically, we go to weird places. uh, But this is so believable because I've seen this in churches. It says um, they they went to go meet. About a dozen guys went to go meet with those clan. Verse 15, they went to Gilead. It says, how could you break faith with the God of Israel? Okay, that was an assumption with an accusation. And then a long speech, if you rebel, this, that, and it's like the days of Achan, and how could you, and all that. Verse 24, no, we did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to us, hey, by the way, fear is a really bad motivation to do something. You know, well, that's, that we are not in a good place to process when we act out of fear. And so they went on to explain... And then when, it says in verse 30, when Phinehas the priest and the leaders of the community, the heads of the clans of Israelites, heard what Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had to say, they were pleased. Would have been nice if they said we're going to build this altar and here's why. Or if that didn't happen, it would have been nice if they would have asked for an explanation first, you know, before they rallied the armies, you know. But, in verse 32, Then Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, and the leaders returned to Canaan from their meeting with the Reubenites, Gadites, and Gilead, and reported to the Israelites. They were glad to hear the report, and praise God. Good outcome. And then verse 34, The Reubenites and Gadites gave this altar this name, a witness between us that the Lord is God. Nice outcome, kind of scary. But you know what? There's a lot of stuff. You could write a book on this chapter alone. There's a whole lot that's there. And that's where all these stories that are on your cheat sheet, they're there for us to think how we are very much like them. What are best transformative practices so that we have the kind of outcomes they had? This is our Bible. God gave us these stories so we can learn from them. And you know what? If we really truly learn from each of these stories... We are going to build what's called resilience. And I'm going to talk about resilience in just a second. Trish and I have a systems approach. We read book on thinking and systems all the time, thinking about it in terms of community. And so you'll hear us talking about thinking systems. 
God is the author of systems. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He's talking about what? Thing in the sky. The moon. Well, the, the second one is the moon, right? I want you to think in systems for just a second. There are, there's the universe. There's galaxies. There's the galaxy that we are in. There's our solar system. There's the earth with its, with its moon. There's man-made satellites, thousands and thousands out there. Then there's the ocean and the continents. Then there's the nations, the states, the cities, and the communities, and the building that you live in. And then it all comes down to uh, your, your family unit and your human body. And then it gets all the way down to your biological letter level and your cellular level and your molecular level. You know what? We have to think in systems. The second we get in a car, we're, th we're part of a system, right? <laughs> There's red lights and green lights and yellow lights and don't walk and walk. We're part of a system. Yeah. I want you to think about this system. This is the moon. What would happen if the moon all of a sudden just left orbit and went off into space? <laughs> Tidal waves. Do you know how dependent we are on the moon? The moon does something for us that we don't even know unless we're taught. It creates a gravitational uh, reverberation that aerates our shallow lakes and our rivers and streams so that algae doesn't form on the bottom and kill the animals there. And oh, just here, think about this. If we didn't have the, the moon, tides would cease after they went kabunk, and then rivers and streams would die. Debris would return to the shores. Now, I don't understand the science behind all this. We would get sick. The ecosystem would be radically altered. Think the walking dead. Okay, raise your hand if you've watched more than one episode of the walking dead. It was incredible. I was, uh, last year I was uh, summoned to jury duty. And it, this was a fantastic case. It was a made-for-TV kind of case. But uh, they asked us what's our favorite shows, magazines, websites, and all this. And at the time, I was watching The Walking Dead, but I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> But it happened to be the most watched show of everybody that was a candidate for the jury. Wow. Gave us some great conversations on the jury. But, um, you know, it would be a scary world if this happened. Because, you know, brothers and sisters, we're part of a system. Right. And that's okay. And you know what? When we think that way, and we think about the human body and the spiritual body, it all makes sense. Yeah. What does the church body system need to thrive. I think about this all the time. Because in a sense, what we ought to be doing from time to time in our churches, not all the time, but time to time in evaluation, we need to hack the church. Okay. Hack is where you ask questions, you, you insert, you try, you experiment to improve. Come on. This is how Toyota has become so efficient. They're always thinking, 
What can we do to improve? What can we do to make it better? All the time. I don't think we need to always be like every single thing we do, we have to question every single week or every single month. But we should be periodically like, why do we do what we do? What can we do to improve and without spending more money? And that's what Toyota's thing is. You can solve a lot of problems without more money. You just have to look at things at another angle. Because we are a system. And sometimes we, we get out of sync. And we need some calibration. And here's some passages that I think are really awesome for those of you that want to uh, look at the cheat sheet and think in terms of how do we hack the body of Christ so we are in best form, using the Bible, of course, okay, is the Sermon on the Mount. It's loaded with stuff for our relationships. It's the charter for what a disciple is. 1 Corinthians 12, body life, that's systems language there. And then Romans 12, about our gifts, and being sober about which gifts we have. You know, when we are in the wrong place in the wrong seat on the ship because we think we're good at something we're not, or we're, we're good at something that we're not doing. Wow. You know, we want to find that out. And then Ephesians 4, which is just so loaded. I mean, just so rich. Okay. These are passages that are going to help us see ourselves and, and calibrate ourselves to be the very best form. No matter what happens. So the when the winds and the streams, all that stuff blows, according to Paul, we're like, whatever. We're anticipating it. We knew it was coming. That's life. Stuff happens. And we built in measures because we use the Bible to respond to the things that happen in the world. And so that's what I want. I want to be part of being ready. You know, just to be ready. When, when uh, places aren't ready, when uh, Louisiana wasn't ready, they had Katrina. When BP wasn't ready, it had its big old crisis in the Gulf. And couldn't we go down politics and, and our nation to, to see that? And so basically, let's, on this journey over the next few months, let's ask God to help us get to a place to anticipate and be ready for whatever's next. And that's the goal in mind. So we're going to talk about play space right now. And uh, play space is kind of a metaphor, okay? And this, I'm going to give you an example that's loosely based on a true church, okay? And these are happy people, okay? <laughs> you don't see much of a boundary up there because they're just happy. They're just playing. This is a freeze frame. They're playing, you know? And, and, and so they're going, hey, it's great. And you know what? Haven't we all been in a place in the kingdom of God where we're like, hey, I don't feel judged, I feel loved, I can make mistakes, I can be creative, I can try stuff, I can fail, and it's okay because we're a family and we can learn from it and I can bounce back, right? right. And man, and don't you want people coming on in? When you have that, you're just thinking, oh man, you can believe our church. Okay. And then, you know, life happens. Something happens. Somebody got knocked down. And there's an event that took place in this church, particular, particular congregation, early on, and it affected them. But, you know, they kept playing because they know what to do about it. You know, they know bad stuff happens. And the people that weren't directly affected by as, as much kept playing. And then, you know, another one happens. And then another one happens. And then things start to happen to how you feel. But other people are trying to, let's move on. You know, let's be happy. Let's try. You know, let's push. And so what happens, it keeps going on, and things get moved around. And this is all what's going on emotionally about how you are 
feeling about your original bouncing around, being creative, trying things. And you know what these things are, these blue spots? They're different experiences of something like a, maybe a church discipline wasn't handled well. Or a hiring, firing fiasco, or something like that. There's things that you go, I don't know if I feel good about that. And you know, what the interesting thing about all these is some of them, if you knew the whole truth on them, it wouldn't even bother you. But because you don't know. And sometimes it's hard to talk about the whole truth because you're dealing with people's lives. But, you know, trust is somehow is as a factor here in all this. And, and some things, you know, we need to go back and revisit, but we haven't. And now we wish that we did. And we don't know how to do that. In 2005, Trish and I were asked to go into the city ministry. And uh, we were living in the suburbs for 15 years. And we ran it across to our youngest daughter, still two years of high school left. Because she was going to be in a rough school when she did that. So we did. And we, the staff couldn't even meet together. Wow. And so... That, and we knew the staff. They were our friends, so we did it. And after a few months, we thought, this is not so good. But about a year, we did an assessment. And we found 22 unresolved relationships. We had three feudal groups. Yep. And it was scary to go to church. Yep. And so I remember one day just saying, you know what we're going to do? For all the stories that I've heard that go back 15 years, we're going we're gonna to reformat the hard drive. We're going to get the viruses out, but we're going to do it through a process. So I met with people. I met with the, the small group leaders and had town hall meetings with people that I heard were hurting. And they said, once you call up these former members, I called up former members. And, uh, man, it was a lot of work. I'm telling you, it was a big amount. Of, this is like a four- to six-month project. We eventually had four Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday meetings where we had to bring it all out. Which part was the elders? Which part was the evangelist? Which part was, this? Some of it was racial. Which this part was the African American community. This part was the white community. This part was white leaders. You know, we were doing all sorts of mistakes. Some of them were sincere. Well, one of the things we did is we pushed minority leaders further and faster than we had actually propped them set up to to do. Yeah. We weren't giving them the things that they needed. Someone wanted to have education and stuff, and we were saying, no, just do this, lead this. And we had seven or eight things that we had to renounce and own and apologize for and all this. At the end of it, oh, there was such calm. There was grief, too. But I was able to hold a meeting with 300 people and say, tell me how you're feeling. Now, that was scary because I went through open forums. I remember thinking, Steve, what are you doing? <laughs> and, but you know what? We got rid of our things. And that's what ultimately we're hoping to be able to do as part of our contribution to the kingdom of God. It's to leverage our pain so that <laughs> we can figure this stuff out. But here's what happens. It starts to feel like the walls are closing in. And then what happens? Often a tiniest thing creates a box. It's a little thing. This thing here isn't even worth getting upset at. It's ridiculous. It's small. It's puny. Later on, you can even laugh about it. But it was something. Okay? And it really represented all the other stuff. Now, this is very close to a true story where I don't know what behind the scenes of this box, but the church that I was baptized in in DeKalb was planted in 1947 by Thomas Albright. He's a famous Church of Christ guy, was a Pepperdine preacher. He was 17 years old. He and a 19-year-old kid did it, okay? 
And uh, Marty Fuquay was a campus minister of that church years later. That's how we were baptized. But guess what? It died in 1999. Because it had all those things not being dealt with. And that's one of the downsides of the restoration movement, specifically the churches of Christ. They're not good at dealing with conflict. Brothers and sisters, it is our job to reverse that legacy. We're going to be good at it. We're going to be good at it in the community. We're going to be good at it in our families. We're going to be good at it in the church. But you have to feel a pain sometimes to be able to do that. And so we actually replanted the DeKalb Church as an extension of the Chicago Church. And we've actually been in contact with Thomas Albright. This happened in 2003 when Dave Pachter went out there. And we seize the name, and we have a community out there, and it's a happy place. It's an exciting place. And in my inbox, even since I've been here, there's been baptisms. There's good news out of our DeKalb Church. They've got play space. Brothers and sisters, Trish and I would like to be able to be part of help recovering your play space. But I just want you to... I I want you to know this about us. We have been all sides of conflicts. We've been the victim. We've been the perpetrator. We've been witnesses. We've been advocates. We've been mediators. You feel bad about something you've done. You get a little bit of shame. You don't want to talk about something you now regret. Hey, we'll tell you our shame. We're just one beggar. Show another beggar where the food is. And please let us help you. Amen? Amen. And then this will be the West Side Church coming soon. Amen?